You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, you truly are a good, good father. And we are loved by you. That's who we are. And Lord, we look to you for answers as we just sang about um, in our most difficult relationships here this morning. There are a few things I can think of, Lord, that are harder than loving your enemy. And yet that's exactly what you call us to do. And so we ask this morning that as we open your word together once again, that you will make it come alive to us, that you will make it relevant and practical for us because it is, and that you will change us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be who you have created and called us to be. Lord, thank you that you are a good, good father. We celebrate that. We remember that in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you so much, worship team. That was rich worship, and we'll have more of a chance to do that a little later this morning. But now, we do dive into God's word together. And really, this is kind of a part two of what we started to dive into two weeks ago. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we started into this reality of loving your enemy. And this week, we will pick up again in the rest of that passage and finish that out. But before we do so, I'm reminded of um, something that happened actually last week. After our 1045 live in-person service, um, as some of us were gathered out in our front entry area there just talking and having some community together, someone shared something with me that they had applied from the very passage we had studied just a couple weeks ago. And as she began to describe to me what, what had happened, I, I was I was deeply impacted by what she shared. And, and some of this I shared in my Facebook sermon preview for those of you who watched that earlier this week. But she began to share with me that she had been let go from her job earlier this summer. And it was a job that she had been in for like 13 years. She had been there a really, really long time and loved what she did and, was, and is very good and very gifted at what she does. And, and everybody really recognized that. But when Things were difficult economically earlier this summer, and I know in some ways they're still difficult now. But anyway, as this story goes, that's when she got let go. She got laid off. But then things began to turn around a little bit, and they began to hire their staff back, and she wasn't hired back. And the manner in which that was done wasn't just painful and deliberate. It wasn't just an economic message. It was a personal message as well. She wasn't hired back because they had decided they didn't want her to come back. And that was deeply painful to her. But she said, you know, as we were talking about and thinking about and wrestling through last week, loving our our enemies, she said, I decided to, to give that a test drive. I decided to apply that and to apply some of those principles that we had talked about from God's word. And so what she did was almost as remarkable as what she didn't do. You see, what she didn't do, the choice she consciously made was she didn't gossip. She didn't go on social media and disparage them. She didn't talk, you know, down about them. Um, She very easily could have. She felt like she had been wronged, but instead she chose to love 
And what she did choose to do was even though she didn't have to go back to her workplace, she did. And she took a thank you note with her and, and gave that to those folks who were there to thank them for 13 years. And even though she had been hurt and even though she had been wronged, she chose to return that with love and grace and, and spoke encouragement and blessing while she was there. You see, she left in a great way even though she was hurt in how they had left her, how they had let her go. And I asked her, so where was the point where you stopped feeling bitter and angry about what had happened? And she said, you know, it happened when I began to pray for them. And when I decided and made that choice that I'm going to go back and I'm going to leave in a way that's loving and right before God. And that's the power of what we're talking about here this morning. You see, once again, we're reminded, Christianity, the Bible, is the only religion, the only worldview that tries to live out and talks about loving our enemies. Rather than hating them, we're called to love them. And if you were with us a couple weeks ago, when we first dove into this passage, it was really about how we do that. Lots of practical principles for us. We looked at restraining ourselves instead of retaliating as Jesus is describing what this looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. And man, is that difficult to do. But then we looked at the reality of being willing to give up our basic rights. And in a culture where no one does that, we're, we're called to do that. We're also called to go the extra mile. Not just for people who we like or who that's easy to do for, but people who we don't like or who don't like us. And then we looked at this reality of practicing outrageous generosity. And that is a hallmark of being a Jesus follower anyway, is, is practicing generosity to all people, but especially to those who don't like us or who we don't like. So this was all very practical. But I think in many ways, where we're going to go now is what we all especially need to hear because if we can be honest, this is a big ask. It is a big ask of us. So why? Why should we live like this? I mean, yes, Jesus asks us to, and that's good enough, but why? Why would God ask us to live and to love like this? Well, that's where the rest of the passage is going to go here this morning, but we actually have one more practical how that we're going to add to this list as we read this passage, and then we'll really dive into the why. So let's look at this passage together. It says this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, embedded in there was a very practical how. How are we to love our enemies? Well, we also add to that list that we just went through, praying for them. You see, that's what this person did who I was describing to you 
in this conversation that we had last week after last week's service. But prayer is powerful. And prayer isn't just intended to move God because he is relationally responsive to us. Prayer isn't just about changing our circumstances. So many times prayer is about changing us. I'll never forget the story, the true story, that someone told me who had gone through a very difficult, very painful divorce. And they chose, instead of hating their ex, to pray for them. Now, I know this is, this is difficult ground here. And yes, last week we talked about divorce. And if you did not hear that sermon, I so encourage you to go back and listen to that because Gary Brashears did that so lovingly and so compellingly, but also so truthfully. And quite honestly, for some of you, your ex is your enemy. That's who comes to mind when you think about who that is. And what this person chose to do, even though her ex had wronged her and hurt her deeply, had abandoned her and her children, she chose to pray for him. And over time, that changed her heart towards him. So let's get real practical with this. When you think about loving your enemies... Who is that person who comes to mind? Who is that difficult person? Who is that person who has hurt you? Wronged you? Even betrayed you? Now let's apply this. When's the last time you prayed for them? Now, I'm not talking about imprecatory prayers. There is a place for that. You know, those prayers where you pray, God, if they won't repent, you take them out. Just take them. There is a place to do that. But that's not the starting point. That's the last resort. The first resort is to pray for them. So when's the last time you've done that for that person in your life? Man, talk about hard. Friends, all of us who preach and proclaim God's word to you, myself included, we're not just preachers, we're practitioners. I really do try to live out and apply this stuff in my life too. And this is hard. It's very hard. In fact, there are those times where I will ask myself, do I really want to do this? And the answer is no. No, I don't want to do this. And reasonably so, let's go there because we all feel like this at times, maybe even most of the time when it comes to applying this. So why should we live like this? Why should we love like this? Well, that's where this passage primarily goes. This is now the why of why we should love like that. Let's start with the passage again. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And again, as we're progressing through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does all these things where he goes back and shows what God always intended, what he always intended these things to mean. And so when he says, you have heard that it was said, now he's reaching back into the Old Testament once again, and he's reaching for Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in the Old Testament. And this is where this is found. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, where is hate your enemy in Scripture? 
Well, let's, let's turn to that together and, and we'll make sure that we have the reference for that. Hmm. Not Old Testament. Um, yeah, not New Testament. It's not in the Bible. God's word never says, hate your enemy. So where did this come from? Well, many think, and I think it's reasonable to deduce this, that this was part of the oral tradition. No, this was not written in God's word, but it was being taught in certain circles, maybe most circles, that yes, love your neighbor, but also it's okay and you probably should hate your enemy. And of course, Jesus will define this very directly and very powerfully when someone actually asks him, for those of you who know your Bibles and remember this, someone will ask him in Luke chapter 10, um, who's my neighbor? And they're looking for the get out of jail card. They're looking for Jesus to say, well, your neighbor is this. But what Jesus will do and what he's doing here is he will say, no, your neighbor's this. It's everybody, even your enemy. And that's that point. That's the illustration of the Good Samaritan that Jesus says in response to that question in Luke chapter 10. You're to love everybody, including your enemy. Now, there was plenty of people to hate in that day and age with good reason. There was the Romans, the occupiers, the oppressors of everyone who were incredibly cruel and bloodthirsty and awful. Easy to hate them. It was easy to hate the political conservatives and the political liberals. It was easy to hate the religious conservatives and the religious liberals. Oh, and it was so easy to hate the tax collectors, traitors, scum. And of course, it was easy to hate those who were different from you. And there was lots of different ethnicities back then. The Samaritans, half-breeds, no one wants to have anything to do with them. Edomites, thousands of years of hatred and animosity and war between them and the Jews. And by the way, Herod, who was crazy and who everybody hated, he was an Edomite. So there were plenty of people to hate. And if we're thinking about this reasonably and rationally, doesn't that sound an awful lot like today? I mean, the names change and the classifications change and the categories change, but the separations remain the same, do they not? Jamie and I, as many of you know, run almost every day. And in, we're running through our neighborhood. There's always this car that we run by that has this bumper sticker on it that says, I hate haters. How ironic. And how well does that actually work? And yet, how often do we default to that? And what Jesus is saying here is, I don't want you to live like that. In fact, I don't want you not only hating your enemies, but canceling people out and disparaging those who are different than you, separating yourself from those who are different from you. You know, there, there really is something valuable going on in our culture right now, and that is we are having a very necessary dialogue and discussion about race and ethnicity and racial injustice and social injustice. And that's not just a fad and that's not just a season we're in and someday that's going to die down and go away. No, that's, that's, that's something that we need to steer into. And, and we need to be distinct and different as Jesus followers. 
And so we've been talking about this for several months now, but we're finally, by design, going to land it here at the end of the month. But we're going to be having a racial roundtable where we're going to live stream a roundtable discussion right from here with folks from our own community here at Grace, folks of color. And we're going to be hearing from them and putting ourselves in a position of listening and learning from them as to how we can better love one another, how we can foster more interracial dialogue. Because as Jesus followers, we are called to be distinctive in how we love everybody. And so that's coming on October 28th, I think, which is a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And you'll hear more about it in the coming weeks. But I hope that you're able to take in that live stream. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think it's going to be significant. But the reason we choose not to exclude people, the reason we choose not to hate people is because God isn't like that. God has a heart that he wants us to have towards all people. He says this, Jesus goes on and says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that they may be children of your father in heaven. At, at the end of the day, God wants us to be like him. And God loves all people. Yes, even his enemies. So who's your daddy this morning? Because it's a question you and I need to ask. Because the way this is written here is it is saying you should reflect, you should look like your dad. And you know, as more time goes on, the more I realize I look like my earthly dad and act like my earthly dad. Many of you know my, my dad went home to be with the Lord earlier this year and I've, in my grieving and processing and mourning him, I've, I've been struck by the realization that I'm so much like him in so many ways. My dad was a short guy. He was 5'6". And for those of you who, you know, are 5'6 or shorter, I'm not picking on you. That's just how tall my dad was. And the funny thing about my dad was because he was short, he would like reach down to get something and he'd always rise up and hit his head on something because he was just tall enough that he could be in places that other people couldn't. And so that was kind of the joke in my family was my dad was always hitting his head. Now I'm six foot when I stand up straight on a good day. And so I'm not really short. I'm average, maybe a little bit above average in height being six foot. And I constantly hit my head on things. And I have no excuse. I, I'm not short. I just, it's so funny. I, I'm always going around hitting my head on the beam underneath our deck. Or, you know, it's just like, well, my dad used to do that. Guess I do that too. But on a more serious note, my dad was a man of integrity. And integrity is really important to me. And no, I don't always live that out. But it is a high value to me. It was important to my dad to provide for our family. And my Myers-Briggs descriptor is literally the provider in my personality type. But that's a really high value to me, to take care of my family and the people I love. I look like my dad. Why? Because he's my dad. But the same should be true of my spiritual father. Do you look like your dad? Do you act like your dad in how you love the difficult people in your life, the hurtful people in your life, the enemies in your life. Because at the end of the day, you have one of two spiritual dads. And actually, the dad you start out with is the father of lies. He is the ultimate hater. 
And he wants you to be just like him. And apart from right relationship with God through receiving Jesus Christ into your life, you can't break away from him. But when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to receive Jesus into your life, you enter into right relationship with your heavenly father. He is your dad. And you progressively begin to become more like him. So, which dad are you acting like this morning? In your relationships. In your most difficult relationships. But this passage goes on and so will we. It goes on to say, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And this week we've had both. We've had rain and we've had sun, right? So we get that. But the reality here is that God loves everybody. And theologians will refer to this as as common grace. It's common love that God shows to everyone. And once again, grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor given for the sake of relationship and empowerment. And so God gives his grace to the undeserving. But it's because God is always trying to lead us into right relationship with him. God is always trying to lead us to repentance, to turning from our brokenness, turning from the father of lies, and choosing to believe and know and love our heavenly father. It says this in the book of Romans in the New Testament. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God gives everyone a chance to repent, to choose to turn from their brokenness, and to respond to his grace. And none of us deserve that. And all of us, by the way, start out as his enemies. So why do we love our enemies? Because God loves us. And interestingly, Jesus makes this very powerful appeal to those who were listening in that audience there when he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Now, in an honor-shame society, honor was everything. And my friends, no one wanted to be like a tax collector or a pagan. Tax collectors were traitors. They were considered the scum of the earth. And pagans were ignorant of God, and they were to be avoided at all costs. And interestingly, Jesus says, do you really want to be like them? And ironically, it was the tax collectors and pagans and other people who the religious people would have said, oh, you don't want to be like them. They were actually the ones who were responding to the grace of God. The very author of this gospel, Matthew, was a tax collector who had responded to the grace of God. But Jesus here is making the appeal to them. Do you really want to be like them? And no one wanted to be like them. He's calling them to live distinctly and to love distinctly. But my friends, Not only is this not easy, but sometimes it's very complicated and we want to speak very realistically and directly to that. This is why we need a community together. This is why we need to study the word of God together and wrestle with the word of God together and consult with one another as we're led by the spirit with how to live this out because it can be profoundly complicated. Because at the same time, scripture never tells us to pretend things are better than they are. Evil is evil. 
someone who has betrayed you has really betrayed you. And you're not supposed to pretend that didn't happen or act like that didn't happen or put on a happy face. Scripture never tells us to say things or pretend things are better than they are. We are to speak the truth in love. And you'll see Jesus do that in these coming weeks as he says, yeah, the teachers of the law are the Pharisees. Yeah, don't be like them. This is what it really means to love and obey Jesus. And so we, we need wisdom in applying all this in order to live the distinctive life that God calls us to. But here's further motivation for us. God promises us reward. You know, I was reading a commentary in preparation for this passage, and not all commentaries are right, and this one certainly wasn't. I absolutely disagree with what it said. But it basically said, yeah, rewards should never motivate the believer. It's like, are you serious? Where in the world did you come up with that? Do you realize in the Gospel of Matthew alone, 13 times it tells us we are going to be rewarded for trusting and obeying God. 75 times in the entire Bible it talks about being rewarded for trusting and obeying God. Old Testament to New. And God doesn't want us to be motivated by rewards. Really? Are rewards our idea or His? They're his idea. And yes, God wants to reward us. So let's walk down this street a little bit. Let's take another test drive. What is the best reward you have ever received? Recognition? Money? Stuff? Approval? All of us could probably think of something that's been a reward for something in our life. So how come this doesn't motivate us? How come when the God of the universe says he will reward us, we have such little imagination and we believe that so minimally? Shouldn't that motivate us? That God promises us when no one else notices, when no one else cares, when only you know that you're doing what's right and loving someone who's really difficult to love or who doesn't deserve to be loved, that God is going to reward us. Shouldn't that matter? Yeah, it really should. Some of us just lack total imagination when it comes to doing business with the reality that God is going to reward us. What kind of rewards do you think the God of the universe gives? Pretty awesome. And we'll joke and say, well, yeah, that's another jewel in my crown. Yeah, whatever. That's not really motivating to me. I think God does a whole lot more than that when he says he's going to reward us. And I think we need to think very necessarily about that. I mean, let's just take this in context. Think with me of that difficult person in your life right now. Who is your enemy? Now imagine someday that you're with the Lord in heaven, and that person comes walking up to you, and they say, I am here because of the way you loved me when I was your enemy. What kind of reward would that be? And that's what this God does. He loves the undeserving, and therefore we should as well. And could it be that one of the rewards we can look forward to is we'll see people in God's presence someday who we would have never thought were going to be there. People who have hurt us, wronged us, betrayed us, but because we chose to be faithful and obedient and to love them and could see no results from that, 
yet someday they're walking with the Lord, that would be a pretty amazing reward, wouldn't it? We love our enemies because God promises us a reward. But there's another motivation here as well. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if we misread this, it can be profoundly discouraging. Because God has now given us all these improbable, seemingly impossible commands. And now he really does give us a truly impossible command. He tells us to be perfect. Who's perfect? Is anyone perfect? Well, we have to understand this doesn't mean without fault. By way of example, when Jesus will teach us how to pray, as we'll see in the coming weeks and just later on in this passage, he'll tell us about confessing and asking forgiveness for our sins. God knows we're not perfect. I don't believe that's what this is saying. It's talking about the reality that God wants us to be complete, that we are to be progressing and growing and becoming who he's always created and intended us to be through the power of his Holy Spirit and through our willingness to trust and obey him and receive that empowerment. This is about being mature. And there's a reality here. You and I are immature if we don't grow in our ability to love like this. You ever thought about that? You see, he calls us to be perfect because he is the one who helps complete us. He is the one who helps us progress and grow. And what's really neat about this is, you know, if you do a word study of this word and you look at the tense, it's a promise in that we're going to be enabled to do this. It is a directive, it's a command, but it's also a hope that someday when we're with Jesus, we will be perfected. We will be who he has created and called us to be. So it doesn't mean we get off the hook with this. It means that we trust and obey and purify those passions and desires as Gary talked about last week so that we truly do love the unlovable. And if that wasn't enough motivation for you, Here's the final motivation. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 reminds us of this reality. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Did you catch what that just said? We all start out in the same place. You don't start out as God's friend. You start out as God's foe. You see, he's not your enemy, you're his. Apart from right relationship with Jesus Christ. My friends, the reason we love our enemies, the reason we love the undeserving is because it's our story. Living the gospel is always a response to what God has already done for you. Why do we forgive other people? Because God, when we least deserved it, chose to forgive us. Why do we love other people who don't deserve it? Because God, when we least deserved it, loved us. My friends, I'm reminded of a story of a a student, middle school, high school, hated everything about Christianity, mocked ridiculed, made fun of anyone who said they loved Jesus, excluded people from his friend group who were Jesus followers, wanted nothing to do with them. And as our worship team comes up now, as we prepare to respond, that sounds like a pretty hard person for God to love. And yet God loved him. And the reason I know God loved this person is because it's my story. 
I wanted nothing to do with God. I went out of my way to mock the things of God, to disparage God, to make fun of people who said they loved God. And yet the reality, the fact that this God still loved me when I was his enemy, when quite frankly, I hated him by what I was saying and doing, completely transformed my life. You see, this God loves you the same way. So have you responded to his love? Is he your dad, your heavenly dad? He can be by receiving Jesus Christ into your life. And my friends, if you have done that, then you can live like this. You can do this. And you must do this. Because this is how God has loved you. So let's pray as we once again come before him, sing about his throne room, the strength and power and majesty of his presence and his enablement to live this very life we've been talking about. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that your word is truth and as challenging and as hard as your word is at times to apply and honestly to believe. We can live like this. As difficult as this is, as challenging as this is, we can love like this because you have loved us in this way. God, would we remember that As we sing these songs, would we remember what you have done for us? And Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching and listening to this, that if they don't know you as their heavenly father, they would do so this morning by inviting you into their lives. We celebrate a God who first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. And he has done so much for all of us. He has lavished his grace and his love upon you and upon me. So have you responded to that love? I hope you have. There is no more important decision you can ever make in your life than to know and love this God. And he wants you to. So if you've made that choice this morning, we would love to hear about that. After our service ends here in just a minute, we'll have a Zoom prayer room that will flash up on your screen. You can scan that QR code. It'll take you right there. If you're watching this at any point after this live stream this morning, if you go to our website at our footer down there on the homepage, there's a prayer link. You hit prayer. We would love to pray with you. And my friends, this is not easy stuff that we're talking about here. This is the heavy lifting of relationship to love your enemy, to love those who don't deserve it. And we need each other to do that. So again, if we can pray for you in any way, please let us do that. Because at the end of the day, we are called to live like this and we are called to love like this because you are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl but instead they put it on its stand where it can shine and give light to everyone in the room in the same way. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now go and live for him and love like him. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. 
For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.